Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Top of the hour is being brought to you by DuckDuckGo, Privacy Simplified. And this hour is being brought to you by Busey Bank. Ray, the king! Let's go. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Socks Machine. Josh Nelson, co-host of the Socks Machine podcast. The White Sox are going to need another starting pitcher to get through the 2022 season and the 162-game marathon. So Rick Hahn's work is not done. The Internet's longest-running White Sox podcast. My worst-case scenario, on Friday, June 17th, Lawrence, you invite me on your show to talk about the White Sox, and they're 26-32. and And it's because of the daunting schedule that they have in May and June against the contending teams that we are expecting to be contenders and the White Sox fall flat on their face. And if that happens, it's going to feel like a little bit of the 2021 Chicago Bulls. SoxMachine.com If Aloy, during the season, we are having the conversation that he's going toe-to-toe with Vlad Guerrero Jr. in the Triple Crown categories. That is part of the White Sox best-case scenario, and that is going to lift Aloy from a three-war type of player because his defense is terrible to up to a six-war type of player. Then, yeah, it's time to start believing the White Sox can make it to the World Series. Josh Nelson with Lawrence Holmes on 670 The Score. Sox machine. Ray is the king of making opens for people. Look at that. Josh Nelson has his own open. I love it. Love it. You're Great a job, superstar. Ray. You you missed the whole Lawrence yelling at me though. Yeah. With my worst case scenario. Yeah, I, here's here's what I told Josh. If that scenario that he painted comes true, the next time that he's in the studio after that, I'm just gonna yell at him. <laughs> because he spoke it into existence. So it'll just be me being like, here's Josh from the Sox Machine. And then me just yelling. Yep. That's that's going to be the entire segment. That is not going to be today's segment. I'm so happy that Josh and Jim are going to be a part of our show. I love the Sox Machine podcast. If you have not added it to your group of pods, I did not know that you were the longest running Sox podcast that I, was out here, though. I know, right? It, I, there have been some that started before us, but then the rebuild happened. And then people are like, oh, screw I'm this. I'm done. I'm not, I'm not covering this team. And uh, Jim and I, one of our best traits is that we're stubborn. It's also one of our worst traits. So we just stuck with it. And here we are nine seasons later. Well, I, I couldn't ask for a couple of guys that, that care about this team maybe even more than I do 
to to join me in conversation. So it's great. Like I'm glad that we were able to work it out and that you guys are going to be a part of my show every week and we're going to break down White Sox baseball. So two series, two series wins. How you feeling? I think there's good vibes. And we were hoping that the White Sox offense can play at a high level to overcome the pitching injuries because Man, when Lucas Giolito left on opening day, Lawrence, that was just like another sucker punch. Like, Lance Lynn is gone for a couple of months. Yoan Mikata, we're hoping to see at the end of the month. And now Lucas Giolito, like baseball gods, what did we do to you? And then Liam Hendricks blows the game on opening day, and it's like this terrible feeling. But then they won four straight games in large part to the White Sox offense. I mean, Luis Robert... We love him in Chicago. We rave about this guy all the time. But when you're talking about superstar or budding superstar center fielders in the game, Byron Buxton is getting more of the coverage than Luis Robert. We need to bang that drum louder, Chicago. There's no reason why a Minneapolis baseball player should get more hype than one of our own. So bang the drum, Luis Robert. Just as good, if not better, than Byron Buxton. And the home opener was a prime example of how Luis Robert could change the game. He robbed Jesse Winker of extra bases, if not a momentum-changing base hit for Seattle to have control of that game against Vince Velasquez. And then when they're having such a tough time against Matt Brash on that terrific slider, Robert takes him deep. And in 2020, anyone in the planet Earth could throw a slider at Luis Robert, and he would have missed it. And now in 2022, he's taking you deep 400 feet to center field. And then you bring in Tim Anderson, and Tim Anderson, checking on my phone, is hitting 471, Lawrence. So that's your number one and number two hitters in the White Sox lineup, and they're getting this offense going, and they're going to have to continue to play at a high level because the Tampa Bay Rays are tough. But after six games, it's all good vibes on the south side. It's good. I enjoy watching him play center field. And you're right about the Byron Buxton thing. I think it it probably has to do – with how high he was drafted, yes. how snake bit he's been injury wise, but I I prefer our guy. Yeah, I I think that he's the better overall player, and it'll be fun. Like I'm curious about this Minnesota team if they'll have enough pitching to actually compete. But with Robert watching him glide in the outfield is one of my favorite things. When you see there are some athletes that you watch, like we're we're envious of all of their talent like anyone that makes it to like that level you should be envious of their talent mm-hmm. but when i watch robert i go oh my god like that's like that that's the outsized projection of the way that you dream you could play center field absolutely i saw robert when he was in winston salem he struck out four times uh, i was the only time he struck out four times in the season but watching him play center field and the next night i was in charlotte to watch charlie tilson play center field. And I knew right away, just based on the jumps and how they read the ball off the bat, Luis Robert was way ahead of Charlie Tilson. And Charlie Tilson was getting starts for the Chicago White Sox at center field. And I knew at that moment, yeah, Luis Robert is the best center fielder that the White Sox have. And we have learned since he's joined the White Sox, he's one of the best center fielders in all of Major League Baseball. How concerned are you about this configuration of starting rotation Mm -hmm. for the White Sox right now because of injury. Well, we're going to see Dylan Cease tonight. And now you're asking Dylan Cease to go from being the number three guy to be the bridge to the back end of the rotation to now we need you to step up and you got to be our temporary ace until Lucas Giolito gets back. And I think Dylan Cease obviously has the stuff. I mean, his track record against the Detroit Tigers, 
We talked about this on our show, Lawrence. If Seaswit had a 100 pitch limit, he may have had 12 strikeouts against Detroit. Like they have yet to figure him out. And the fact that he threw more sliders and fastballs suggests that Cease is now taking the extra level in his development. And he is looking at scouting reports and saying, okay, if you are looking for my fastball, you're not going to see my fastball. And oh, by the way, this slider that you have a tough time hitting, that's a wipeout pitch. I can now throw this for strikes. And now I also have this circle changeup that I've been working with pitching coach Ethan Katz on. So try to hit me. And Detroit had a very tough time. Tampa Bay offensively right now is having a tough time through their first seven games. I don't think they're going to have fun tonight against Dylan Cease, but I do think it adds more pressure to Michael Kopech. We didn't know going into the season what the how long the leash is going to be for Kopech. Is he a four-inning guy? Is he a 60-pitch guy? So he really needs to step up for this White Sox team to not have a long losing streak. But he pitched well enough. He competed well enough against Detroit to put the White Sox in a position to win. And at least this weekend, that's what I'm expecting out of Cease. If he can get six innings, that's great. That's a win for Cease. If Kopech can get through four, maybe get into the fifth inning and help the White Sox have that lead on Saturday, fantastic. I still do not know what to expect from Vince Velasquez. He threw five different pitches in his first start, and that's wonderful in the sense of I was really worried that he was going to keep throwing this below average fastball and get smacked around all over guarantee rate field. So I, I'm still reserving my judgment on Vince Velasquez after Easter. What do you think is Kopech's best option for a tertiary pitch? That's a great question because we did not see the changeup in his first start. We saw seven curveballs after the second inning, and I think that was watching that game again that was based on strategy in which he and Reese McGuire wanted to just go with fastball slider because that's what Kopech is comfortable with. However, Lawrence, Kopech, he's got 60 grade stuff. He's got 40 grade command right now. He's got below average command and he's having a tough time locating the Wait, fastball. Let's slider. whiteboard this for people. Sure. Give them the, the, the scale in baseball that you're basing that off. of. Okay. Yeah. So on the baseball scouting scale, scouts go from 20 to 80. A 20 is Lawrence and I for power. If we go up to home plate, we may never hit a home run in our life. That is 20 grade power. I hit two in college. Okay. Well, okay. So you may be 30 grade power. Uh, Nick Magical had 35 grade power coming out of Oregon State. Sounds about right for me. Yeah. 50 grade <laughs> is, is, is league average. So when you look at stat cast data and you're looking at velocity and you're looking at RPMs, if a right-handed pitcher throws 93 miles per hour, Fastball velocity-wise, a scout will say that's 50-grade because that is league average now in Major League Baseball. 60-grade is the next standard deviation over, and then you got 70-grade. Example of 70-grade would be Luis Roberts' defensive skills in center field. 80-grade power could be Vlad Guerrero Jr., where this is a guy that's going to hit 45-plus home runs or 50 home runs in a season. So that's your 20-80 grading scale. So when you say that Kopech's at 40-grade command... Yeah, he is below average commanding as far as his pitches. If he throws 10 pitches at a target, he may hit that target four or five times, where someone that has league average command may hit that target six or seven times, and someone that's got 60 or above is hitting that target eight to 10 times. It felt like in the, the game against Detroit, he started to eventually find a feel for the slider. Yes. And that was a good thing that he did because that's a lineup that you can throw that slider against and get some people out. So what becomes the third pitch for him? Is it the change? Is it is it a curveball? Like I I he's gonna need one if he's yes. going to be a starter. 
we may see the curveball first because the curveball was mid-70s, which was really interesting to me because a power pitcher like Michael Kopech, who's humming it in there at 95 to 97 with the fastball and high 80s with the slider, you may see a like this spike power knuckle curveball type of pitch that's like 83 to 85. It's never a strike, but it just drops off. It gets to the plate and get, gets the hitters to swing and miss. But instead, it's this mid-70s curveball as a change of pace. So we'll see on Saturday if that ends up being the pitch. But I don't know if he knows or if he's comfortable yet what his third pitch offering is going to be. But he's going to need something because in the first two innings, Detroit was on his fastball and slider when he wasn't throwing it for strikes. And when he was in the zone, they weren't whiffing that much. He needs to have some type of third offering to keep Tampa Bay off balance. Yes, I would agree with you. So we start looking at where the White Sox are. They have Tampa Bay coming in for this weekend, and Tampa is off to kind of a rocky start for them. With didn't they? They were four and zero, right? Like they started off four and zero. Yeah, and they, I was looking like a genius for like a second, and then I was not looking like a genius. I, I don't know what happened against Oakland. All yes. of a sudden, the Athletics are just bombs away in St. Petersburg, and you're having these really high scoring games. I mean, Frankie Montas had a good start against the Rays, for those that are concerned of White Sox fans. I'm concerned. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, Tampa Bay, you know, Brandon Lau, uh, is he has three home runs. And, of course, the one player to watch from the Rays is Wander Franco, who is going to be this budding superstar. He's already hitting like 379 to the season. He's phenomenal. If the White Sox can limit on how these two hit against him, I think the White Sox will be fine this weekend. But with Tampa... If they are pitching well, they're always tough to score against. Does Jazz need to catch another game this season? Yes, to give Reese McGuire a break. (laughs) (laughs) That's kind of how I feel. You know, the thing about Yasmani Grandal is that he has a really good relationship with Dylan Cease. So tonight, I think we're going to see a really good game and really good game planning because speaking with Grandal and Dylan Cease, when they used to have these things called Sox Fest uh, pre-pandemic, both of them talked about how much they enjoyed working with one another, how they're using Codify to map up against their opponents. And for those that don't know Codify, Codify is now this consultancy service, which pitchers can hire and they get these pitch maps and they're told to pitch in the blue. These are the cold zones against the opposing hitters that they're going to see. And both Dylan Cease uses it and Yasmani Grandal as well. Lucas Giolito was an early adopter of the system. So I think we're going to see a good game tonight. I do think we're going to see Reese McGuire on Saturday with Michael Kopech because I think Tony LaRusso wants them to have this type of relationship working together. And then Grandal, when Lance Lynn comes back, we'll see in how the defensive configuration works. But at the beginning of the year, we're like, Grandal needs to catch 120 games because, oh my gosh, I can't take Zach Collins anymore. Now there's Reese McGuire into the fold, and I'm not having these long debates online about Yasmani Grandal's defense because I will submit, yes, Reese McGuire's a much better defender than Yasmani Grandal. There's no question about it. So Yas could be the DH more and save his knees, and that benefits everyone. I, I'm with you with that as well. Josh Nelson, he is one of the hosts of the Sox Machine podcast. He's terrific. We will be having him and his partner in crime, Jim Margulis, on each week, each Friday, we will break down White Sox baseball. From the people that you talk to on Twitter, and you can follow Josh on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh, what is their biggest concern right now? 
that Lurie Garcia is playing way too much. <laughs> Amen and hallelujah. <laughs> Do you share that concern? You know, it's early. The game three home run is the most life-changing home run for Lurie Garcia for multiple reasons. It's something that's feathering his baseball career cap that he could always go back when he's got grandkids and say, I did this. Yeah, you heard Grandpa was a baseball player. This is what I did, and listen to that crowd. They are cheering for me. It also got him a three-year contract. And when I'm seeing him fumble these defensive plays, which he can't, he can't have this, right? He cannot be making these errors, especially in the infield. It doesn't justify him having a three-year contract being a super utility player when the White Sox have other interesting infielders in their farm system coming up the ranks, like Romy Gonzalez, so even in the wind, when other when his teammates are not having that big of issues as they're fighting the wind, but he's the one that's committing errors, and he still doesn't have a base hit this year. He's like 0 for 17. It's like, come on, Lurie. You, you got this three-year contract. You need to start carrying some of the weight. There are a couple of, of prospects that are on the roster, Sheets and Vaughn. And I guess the question becomes, how do you bring those guys along, get them the at-bats that they need here while still trying to win a World Series? Is it possible to do it? I don't know how possible it is to be fair to both. And that's the key conversation, Lawrence. What's fair to both? Splitting playing time 50-50? Because right now, Andrew Vaughn's the one that's hitting and Gavin Sheets is not. And Andrew Vaughn's hitting against both righties and lefties and Gavin Sheets is not. And if someone needs to play right field, I like Andrew Vaughn more in right field than Gavin Sheets. Vaughn's got better foot speed than Gavin Sheets, but neither is a speedster out there. And we saw this week on how beneficial it is to have Adam Engel in right field for the Chicago White Sox. It may be whoever has the hot bat, but this is one of those situations as a first guesser or someone that analyzes the White Sox where I kind of take a seat back and just watch on how Tony La Russa answers the questions from the beat reporters and how he is handling the playing time because he's been doing this job for so long that you just lean on him and be like, Tony, you figure it out in the month of April because this is your job. You got to have these guys ready to play. So you figure out how many plate appearances both of them need so they don't get too rusty or they get cold sitting on the bench. I think Andrew Vaughn should be playing 75% of the games right now in April. And maybe Gavin Sheets finds a way to play in 50% of the games. If Aloy Jimenez can DH tonight because he fouled off his foot, then Andrew Vaughn should be in left field. And Eloy should be DHing because I like Eloy better in the lineup than Gavin Sheets. We could still see Sheets... DHing if Tony wants to give an extra day to Aloy. But Andrew Vaughn has suddenly become this super utility player, but he doesn't have the defensive ability to be a super utility. He's got the heart, and I give him a lot of credit for that. That The he, willingness to do it is is major. Yeah, he's got the will to win, the TWTW, right, from Hawk <laughs> Harrelson, right? And, and you know what? That, that warms my heart as a baseball fan. You love to hear it. Be like, I don't care where you put me in, coach. I just want to play, and I want to hit. So you can put me wherever you want me to play in left field, right field, even if I'm out of position, third base or second base, I'm willing to do it. And that is great to hear from Andrew Vaughn. But when you are talking about a team with World Series aspirations, you have to be mindful. What are the White Sox doing to optimize their chances of winning every single game? 
and T-W-T-W, having TW, the will to win. <laughs> thank you, Ray. And having Vaughn in left and Sheets in right, I argue, is not optimizing your chances of winning the game, especially defensively. So right now, I say Vaughn should play seventy-five percent of the games. But come Memorial Day, if Sheets is still struggling to hit Lawrence, and Vaughn is still like a three hundred hitter, and he's one of the team leaders in home runs and RBIs, yeah, then Andrew Vaughn should be playing every day. Do you have Apple TV Plus? I I have Apple TV. I don't have Apple TV Plus. I signed up for it, and then I realized I don't remember my Apple password, so I had to wait a week from <laughs> Apple to email me to reset my password because I wanted to see Ted Lasso, and then I got distracted, and I still haven't seen Ted Lasso, and I still need to figure out Apple TV Plus. But I have the app on my TV. Good, because that's where the only place you can watch the White Sox game tonight. Yes, I will be in section 108 though. So 108. If you, if you want to stop by, that's we got season tickets this year, so we're in section 108. So if you want to stop by and say hi, it'd be great to see everyone. Uh, but yes, for those that'll be watching at home, uh, tell your dads, tell your grandpas, they're going to be screaming at you via text message. How do I get Apple TV? And bless you. Uh, for walking him through that process. Yes, good luck to them and to you. That is the only place where you'll be able to watch White Sox versus Rays tonight is on Apple TV. And it's a different type of broadcast. Like, be ready for that, too. From what I've been told from the folks at, at, at some some peeps that I got on the inside, they want the these broadcasts to sound like podcasts. Yes. The problem is that takes some skill. Mm-hmm. And and it's hard to pull off for even the best broadcasters that have been together for a really long time. And what I heard on the Apple broadcast is that they're kind of throwing a collection of people together and finding that rhythm is going to take some time. So show them a little bit of grace, but know that the goal is to make those broadcasts sound like a baseball podcast while there's a game going on. I don't know how well that's going to go over in Tampa and on the south side of Chicago because those are two teams that are like, wait a minute, my team's playing for the World Series this year. Yeah, <laughs> I, I want a breakdown of what's happening in the game in real time. Yeah, where's Jason and Steve, right? Like that's what everyone's going to be asking. Uh, I'm also asking, you know, Steven Nelson, our friend, was supposed to be broadcasting this game, and they rescheduled him to a different game. Which stinks, because that's a guy that would be able to to bridge the gap, would yes. be able to treat it like a podcast, and also like play-by-play. I look forward to everyone's reviews. I'm sure we'll both be getting those tweets <laughs> later <Yep>. on tonight, <laughs> but luckily you'll be out there with the people out in Section 108. I'm so I'm I'm so thankful that you guys said yes to this, man. Uh, you you didn't think we were going to say yes? I you know poor Mitch Rosen emails me. He's like, "Well, here's my offer." Yes, <laughs> I wouldn't even listen to the offer. Of course, we would do this. All right, well, good because I wanted you guys. I love the Sox Machine podcast, and I I you guys have been so good to me over at Sox Machine. I wanted to make sure that I could share you with the audience, and hopefully, it'll be a win win win. Absolutely. Again, the big thing is why. That's the question that we always try to answer. Why are things happening? And then we get into the nitty gritty as far as the data and rewatch games and look over film to try to answer that question. But we're all White Sox fans here. I know this is the home of the Chicago Cubs. We're all rooting for this team to make it to the World Series. There's going to be some highs and there's going to be some lows. And it's all about trying to find that middle ground. So 
you're on stable footing and you don't get too high. Oh my gosh, this team's amazing when they're not playing great. And you don't get too low when it's like, oh, the end is nigh. They're not making the playoffs. And it's May. <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of how we're wired, though. It is true. Wherever you get your podcast, you can find the Sox Machine podcast. It's a great pod. If you're a White Sox fan, you should be a subscriber. I am. I listen to that podcast all the time. Occasionally, I pop up on the Sox Machine podcast, and it's always an excellent time with Josh and Jim. They are going to be a weekly part of my show. Sir, thank you for being here. Absolutely. Good Vibes Friday. And uh, hopefully next week when you talk to Jim, uh, the White Sox heading to Minneapolis have a very successful series in Cleveland. That would be a great thing. This is going to be an interesting week for the White Sox. It'll be tough. It'll be tough. That's Josh Nelson. Check out the Sox Machine podcast wherever you get your podcast. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's Jackie Robinson Day. I want to talk about Jackie Robinson. We'll do that next here on The Score. Yo, Holmes! Lawrence Holmes. Holmes runs it really well. Noon to two. Holmes doing what Holmes does on Sports Radio 670 The Score. Yo, Holmes! And 670thescore.com. In Odyssey Station. In the last half of the second inning, Robinson gets the first hit off four. It's a homer into the left field stand. Jackie Robinson with a World Series home run. I threw up on Instagram today. I don't know if you're on the gram. Uh, it's also in my Twitter account, too, at Lawrence W. Holmes on either Instagram or Twitter. I have a picture of Jackie Robinson from the 1940, 1949 season, which was his MVP season, where I want to say he went 342, 432, 528 as a slash line that season. And it's him at Wrigley Field, and it's awesome. And I also threw up the picture of the mural in Montreal because he was playing for Montreal before he got called up to play for the Brooklyn Dodgers. It is Jackie Robinson Day around Major League Baseball. My friend Shakia Taylor wrote a really good piece today about Jackie Robinson Day and what it should mean. I, I too, have some thoughts on Jackie Robinson Day. I think, and I was talking with Josh about this during the break, I think Jackie Robinson Day, I, I don't like everyone wearing 42. I feel like it should be like the Walter Payton man of the year award in the NFL, where every season you have a designated player who is nominated and is and plays and has the social component with it too, is a, is a hardworking player, but also cares about equality. That to me would be the best way to help kind of tell the story and maybe get some of your players involved in wanting to, to see some of the change that Jackie Robinson was looking for. A couple of side notes. The Both of them are sad. Um, I'll get back to, to Robinson in a second. Bulls assistant coaches Chris Fleming and Damian Cotter both tested positive for COVID this week. So they're not making the trip to Milwaukee. Billy Donovan said that they have cold, mild cold-like symptoms. They're dealing with that. Paul George is out of the game tonight because he tested positive, or he is in the safety protocol. I can't say that he tested positive because I don't think the team reported that. But he is in this, the safety protocols, which means he's not available tonight. While Josh and I were talking about Byron Buxton, Byron Buxton slid into second base and hurt himself. 
that young man has been through hell. I think Louise Robert is better than him, but I don't want that to be the case because he's not available because he's hurt. It's just so, so sad. So sad. Hopefully it's not too long and he'll be back and we can have the Buxton versus Robert debate all season long. Let me get back to Robinson real quick. One of the things that I worry about whenever we do a celebration, this is the diamond jubilee of of Jackie Robinson breaking into Major League Baseball, breaking the color line, is that the farther away that we get from people doing phenomenal stuff, hard stuff, the more we like to turn them into a caricature. We like to turn them into a cartoon where Jackie Robinson becomes a very safe figure for some people to talk about where we've been and where we're going. And sometimes in simple terms saying it's proof of things getting better. Robinson was complicated and his views on a lot of things evolved and his views on the civil rights movement. I thought were by the time we get to the mid sixties, Jackie Robinson is going out to Montgomery, Alabama. He's going to St. Augustine, Florida, and he's walking the walk of other civil rights leaders. He's trying to be an encouraging figure to those who feel like they've been put upon by society. He's critical of police action. So know that sometimes we tend to make it I mean, I know there's literally a Disney movie about Jackie Robinson that starred Chadwick Boseman, but we like to turn some of these figures into cuddly Disney characters. And you have to understand that they, not only through their deeds, but through their words going forward, in Jackie Robinson's case, he was that dude. He eventually turned into that dude. So I wanted to share this with you. Like This is Jackie Robinson talking about inequality. I don't think you realize down here in Birmingham what you mean to us up there in New York. And I don't think that white Americans understand what Birmingham means to all of us throughout this country. And we think about the little kids being tossed from one side of the street to the other by the tremendous force of this hose. And we think about... Uh, this picture just sickens me, this big brave policeman down here with his knee on the throat of this lady. And the problem of it is, ladies and gentlemen, is that this same picture of the dogs and of this policeman with his knee in the throat of this lady, it's a picture that's being portrayed throughout the world. And I think the conscience of America is beginning to awaken. I think the first steps that were made here by the Birmingham businessman with Dr. King and the other leaders down here is an indication that perhaps the conscience of Birmingham is beginning to awaken. The only thing that we are demanding is that we be allowed to move ahead just like any other American citizen. People tried to shout Robinson down when he started talking about equality in a broader sense by saying, well, of course, you're rich. None of this stuff reaches you. You have a nice house. You have a lot of money. You have a nice car. And he talked about that. 
And he shared examples of Nat King Cole being beat up because he was singing in front of an integrated audience or people not wanting to go see integrated shows that Lena Horne was trying to do. Explaining that you can't earn your way out of discrimination. No matter how much money you have, that that stuff is going to find you. And and these words, like in him talking specifically about that, he said, there's not one Negro, not one that I know that has made it until the most underprivileged Negro in St. Augustine has it made. So understand when you see people talking about Jackie Robinson, and there are some great fun stories that don't make us think critically. I'm even going to share one of them before I'm done here. But realize what that guy went through and then the journey that he went on before he passed away in finding out that even breaking the color line wasn't enough. And that while we hold it up as being practical change in society, and it is one of the most important moments of the 20th century, some of the things, it, do a search today. Go look at some of the speeches that Jackie Robinson has made. MLB, I give him credit. Fran Charles, shout out to Fran Charles. A couple years ago, they did an interspersing of Jackie Robinson's words. And it made complete sense in the context of 2020. So understand that this guy is not a cartoon character and he's not a mascot. He was a man and he, he really cared about equality and equality for all. Back after this on The Score. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score. You know, usually this is the segment where like something I've been dying to get to, I usually bring to your attention, but it is Jackie Robinson Day, right? So I thought I would cede my time not only to Jackie Robinson, but to the great Vin Scully telling my favorite Jackie Robinson story. Did I ever tell you about the time Jackie and I raced each other on ice skates? No, well, I'm not going to tell you now, but uh, that's going to be hit into right field. Ethier on the run, picks it off. One away. So Connor Gillespie, and out to right, and Barry Zito coming up. What happened was Rachel and Jackie and I were going up to a resort in the Catskill Mountains a long, long time ago. Being a kid from the east, I had ice skates. Jackie and Rachel said, oh, you're going to go skating? I said, yeah. They said, we'll go with you. Oh, I said, that's great. Now, the only problem was Rachel was about seven months pregnant. Sure enough, she got ice skates. Now, Jackie is putting his skates on alongside of me in the dressing room. And he said, when we get out there, I'd like to race you. I said, Jack, I didn't know you ice skated. You're from Southern California. I knew football and baseball, but I didn't know ice skating. Squirts down to Gordon. Two out. Anyway... I said, I didn't know you ice skated. And Jackie said, I've never been on skates in my life. 
So I started to laugh. I said, hey, Jack, come on, let's face it. I mean, I'm not a great skater, but I can skate. He said, I know. But I said, I want to race you because that's how I'm going to learn. And if you've never been on ice skates and you put skates on, the first thing you do is walk on your ankles. And sure enough, he was running on his ankles on the ice trying to beat me. But what was as memorable and scarier was Rachel. She was on the ice with a girl whose name, I believe, was Maureen Millerick, an Olympic skating star. And there was Rachel, seven, eight months pregnant, kind of mincing around on her ice skates. I was at my heart and my throat. But anyway, there aren't very many people who can say, oh, sure, I raced Jackie Robinson <laughs> on ice. I love that story, and I love Vin telling it. It's so great. Jack, you've never been on skates before. Yeah, I'm just going to race you. It's going to be totally fine. Happy Jackie Robinson Day, everybody. Back after this in the score. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.